Hello, and we are back from runners in scoring position. I'm still Nate, and Charlie is still here, and we have our special uh, guest speaker with us today. Yeah, so today we have on Max Tizenbaum. Uh, went to school at Stony Brook University and played minor league baseball with the Padres, the Rays, the uh, Marlins, and the Rockies, and also spent some time in independent ball with the Quebec Capitals and went to the College World Series a few times. Max, thanks for coming on, buddy. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, why don't you talk a little about my background and kind of your background in our connection? Yeah, so um, back in 2014, um, I was with the Tampa Bay Rays. I was playing for the Charlotte Stone Crabs, and I got approached by our community relations director. Um, there was a kid that wanted to do a baseball blog and interview a player. Um, that was Charlie. And at the time, I was uh, actually writing my own blog, sort of telling my stories about life in the minor leagues. Um, so it was a natural fit. We uh, we started out emailing back and forth. I answered any questions that uh, Charlie had, and we kind of developed a really nice friendship from there. It's been awesome. Um, pretty much every spring training from from then on, I got like a little care package from from Charlie and his family um, with some little snacks and goodies, um, gum and stuff like that, which was awesome. Guys always were trying to rifle through that as soon as they saw it. <laughs> So yeah, Charlie's been Charlie's been a good friend of mine for the last few years, and you know it's been uh, it's been a really really fun thing to kind of develop that friendship, just uh, starting with with something as simple as a baseball interview. And a side note on that is my mom is listening right now, and I know for sure she's going to text me within the next ten minutes and ask me if you would like another care package again. So if you want to just kind of go over like what you would want on the care package or just any other things like that, and we'll send it to you within the next couple of days. No, I, I love the surprise of them. That was, those are always, those are always great. <laughs> yeah. So getting into some of the questions, uh, when did you know that baseball would be something that you pursue a career in? Um, there's kind of two answers. It was always the one thing that I wanted to do, like from the time that I was, maybe three or four years old when I started to just be able to say like, I want to be a baseball player when I grow up. Um, so there's that answer. Like every little kid, you know, if you're playing baseball, you want to be a, a major league player. Um, but I think I started to, to really know that I could do it um, late in high school and probably into the early years in college. Um, I was kind of a late developing player in terms of like getting prospect awareness when I was in high school. Um, but once I made the junior national team when I was 17, um, I started to get more calls from schools. I started to get a little bit of um, coverage from some of the local scouts. And so at that point, when there was a little bit of that sort of buzz about me, I started to realize, like, you know, this is actually something that's real. Um, you start to get like a questionnaire from a team that's got the major league logo at the top. And you just kind of go, wow, this is this is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, my follow-up question to that is, what was it like being a 17, 18-year-old on the Canadian national team? It was pretty cool. It's uh, That's kind of the path that you have to take if you want to be um, in that sort of track to get to high-level Division One baseball, pro ball. Um, so pretty much as soon as you get into high school baseball, everybody's gunning for those you know 25 or 30 spots on the team. So I was, uh, I was actually a little bit behind. A lot of my teammates had already made their debut with that uh, junior national team. Um, and one of the shortstops on the team, Carter Bell, who went on to play pro ball, I played against him a, a couple of my first years. Um, he broke his hand right before um, the Canadian team's trip to the Dominican. 
I got a phone call one night from Greg Hamilton, the director of national teams. And he asked me if I wanted to go um, and join the team on the trip to Dominican, which I thought was kind of a weird way of way of asking, like, do I want to? Of course I do. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, so yeah, I got, I got called up. I made, made my debut down in the Dominican. We played um, a 10 game series against all the Dominican summer league academies down there. Um, and then I made three more trips with the team. Um, two to Florida where we played out of wide world of sports and one that we went across Canada leading up to the 2008 um, junior world championships. So it was a, a really cool experience. I got to see a lot of, a lot of really interesting places play against some really crazy high caliber players. Um, and that was kind of an eye opener for me as this Canadian high school kid getting to go up against some of these professional guys. Sure. Very cool. So, uh, Max, what went into the process of choosing Stony Brook and what drew you there? Yeah, so it was a process. Um, my parents and I actually built two boards that basically took up our whole kitchen. So I had one that was an academic board and one that was a baseball board. So first, obviously, with the academic board, we were looking for all of the rankings of um, programs, of schools, um, the SAT scores that you needed, um, grades that you needed to get in. So I was trying to find a really high academic level school. And then on the baseball board, I was looking at teams that were competing for championships within their conference. Um, I was looking for a place that would have an opportunity for me to play. Um, I remember I was looking at, I, I believe it was UCLA, um, and they had like 11 or 12 shortstops listed on their roster. <laughs> I went like, okay, so I'm this Canadian shortstop from Toronto and I'm going to go and be the 12th or 13th guy. Like mm -hmm. I won't see the field until my junior year. Yeah. So it was, it was a process of trying to match academics and baseball um, and just find an opportunity where I'd get a really solid education and be able to come in and make an impact playing right away. Great. Awesome. Um, describe advancing to the college world series in 2012. Obviously that's every college baseball player's dream to get to that level uh, what was that feeling like and how like how much of a sense of accomplishment did you have getting there? It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, I said even while I was playing pro ball, I think that that would have been the most exciting three weeks of baseball that I would ever play in um, right up until if I made it to the World Series in the big leagues. Um, so to take it back even a year earlier to talk about the sense of accomplishment, we were we were even better during the regular season the year before. Um, and being from a small conference, the America East, you have to win your conference tournament in order to go to the regionals. So we had this 50-win season. Um, we had received votes in the top 25, top 30 polls. And we were all riding high going into the conference tournament. We're hosting it. We're going to win this thing, and we're going to go on a roll. And we ended up losing two out of our first three games in the conference tournament and got knocked out. So with most of the guys coming back for that 2012 year, um, we lost our number one starter, Nick Tropiano. He got drafted in the fifth round of the Astros. Um, but most of most of the rest of our team stayed. So when we started playing that 2012 season and we started beating up on some of these um, early season opponents down south, um, everybody started to just feel like, you know, this really could be something special. Um, we had a ton of a ton of pro exposure. Um, a lot of it because of our center fielder, Travis Jankowski, who's now a big leader with the Padres. Um, so we knew that we kind of belonged in that sort of discussion as a top team. 
but obviously until you get to the regional and you start going up against those guys, it's uh, it's something that's just sort of in your head. It's like a, a mythical place. And all of a sudden we get down to Miami and we beat them and we're going like, oh man, we can really do this. And then right. Central Florida and all these other teams. And the next thing you know, we're playing in front of twelve or 13,000 people decked out in purple and gold at Alex Box Stadium. And we're all kind of going like, man, this is wild. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a crazy, crazy atmosphere. And to be able to go into those places and, and beat those teams was just something I'll never forget. Would you say that was one of the more exciting or maybe one of the toughest places you've had to play in your career? Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've never experienced anything like that kind of a crowd, um, whether it was for my team or against my team. Like that was that was a, a single a single moment um, that whole weekend where it was just like every time that they had a rally start, even a guy on first base, like a walk or something. And the place you could just feel the buzz start to build in the stadium. Um, I remember they used to, they had a chant where they'd go like one side of the stadium would yell go and the other side would yell tigers. And you could almost feel that like wave of sound hitting you from both sides. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was kind of an overwhelming feeling at, at times where you're just like, man, this is, this is exactly what those big league guys are feeling just on a, a smaller scale. Yeah. Um, and then even when we went to the College World Series, there were probably 15,000 more people there. Like, I think we had 22 or 23,000, whatever it was. Um, and it wasn't nearly as loud. It wasn't nearly as hostile um, because it's just more of a crowd that's there to, to enjoy baseball. It's not a hometown crowd. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was by far one of the coolest environments I've ever played in. Yeah. So touching back on the Padres and, or Padres, and I said, Travis Janikowski's there now, but that was the team that you got drafted by after the Blue Jays originally drafted you. What was that like getting drafted by the Padres and just realizing, wow, I mean, all this hard work really paid off. Yeah, it was, it was a really big roller coaster of emotions and it was a really exciting time. So we had just actually won the regional, um, the night that we finished the regional championship game. Um, we were standing outside of our bus waiting for Coach Sank to finish his media time, and that's when Travis got his call. So we were all standing in the parking lot with him. He gets the phone call. He goes, oh, my God, I just got drafted by the Padres. Um, so we got to celebrate with him the following morning when we were flying from Miami to Baton Rouge. Um, Pat Cantwell, our catcher, got taken in the third round by the Texas Rangers. We were all there for that, um, and that was kind of how it, how it went for everybody. Um, we actually – made the flight from Miami to Baton Rouge. Um, so that like couple of hours that we were in the air was kind of a, a terrifying time. Cause we didn't really know what was going on with the draft. There were like seven or eight of us that were all sort of waiting to hear our names called. And we're going like, Oh man, we're going to be up in the air. No way to, no way to track it. No way to follow it. <coughs> we got to Baton Rouge. We were standing at um, baggage claim. And I got a call from Jim Bretz, who was the scout that I'd been, um, in touch with all year. He was at pretty much every single game in practice we had all year. Um, and he called me and said, you know, we just picked you in the 11th round. Um, he had already spoken to my agent um, to work out some of the like terms of the contract and stuff like that. He just said, you know, I wanted to call and personally welcome you and congratulate you. And again, it was, it was like, obviously that was the time that I knew I was going. So it was just, it was so exciting. And then having all those guys around me to, to congratulate me and share that moment with was was absolutely incredible. 
So after you got drafted, did you have more games, more college games you need to play? And then kind of after that, what's that process like? Do you need to go to San Diego to sign a contract or to Arizona to get started with rookie ball? Kind of explain that process. Yeah, so we were we were just getting to Baton Rouge for the Super Regional. So we had um, a day off, a practice day, the Super Regional, and then a week of practice before the College World Series. So it was probably about a two-week period where I was still playing in college, but I had been drafted. Um, so basically during that time, it was just I had to keep um, Jim Bretz in the loop about what we were doing, how we were progressing, um, so that as soon as we – were finished with our college season they could start arranging my flights and my travel to get down to arizona uh -huh. so as soon as we uh, as soon as we were eliminated from the world series um the team flew back to stony brook i packed up all my stuff in the dorm rooms pretty quickly um, and i went home to toronto for a couple of days like maybe three four days um, they told me just to take some time decompress spend some time with my family and sort of celebrate everything that had just happened. And then I flew out to Arizona um, and spent about a month in Peoria with the rookie ball team. Uh, being Canadian, I had to wait on a work visa. So I actually signed my contract and then spent about a month um, just at the, at the Arizona facility, um, practicing and going and sitting and watching all the AZL games. Um, so that was kind of a, a tough time right there because it was like, man, I really just want to start playing. But obviously, with the uh, with the visa situation, I couldn't actually do that. Right. Um, so you spent about two years with the Padres. And then where were you when you got traded from the Padres to the Tampa Bay Rays? And did you have any idea who you were being traded for? So it's actually a funny story. And my first two off seasons, I took a job working at a company called Splash Marketing up in Toronto. Um, a good friend of mine that I had played baseball with, his dad owned this company. They do all sorts of like home decor, office decor stuff. So they're bringing in like all of the, all the pictures that you'd hang on your wall, different uh, Christmas items, Halloween items. So I was working for him. I was sitting at my desk actually, um, and just firing off some emails to some factories. I was trying to collect a whole bunch of items for the the Christmas sample show, and I got an email from AJ Hinch, who was the um assistant general manager at the time saying hey max we need to talk to you your american phone is off can you please call this number and i'm like oh this this doesn't sound good i was i was kind of feeling like maybe i got released even though like i had had a good year i'm going this is this is kind of scary so i called in um and it was a really short conversation it was um very similar to what you actually see that one scene in moneyball when the they're talking about you don't want it to be a long conversation. You mm -hmm. just want to cut and dry. Um, hey, Max, I just didn't want you to find out through social media or through um, any other outlet, but I wanted to let you know we traded you to the Tampa Bay Rays. Thanks for your time with us. And uh, Tampa Bay will be in touch to let you know about your spring training reporting information. Thanks a lot. Like It was like a wow. two-minute call. Oh, wow. Um, and I remember just like as soon as I hung up, I just felt like the room started spinning. Jeez. And it almost felt like I was like watching the rest of my day from outside of my body. It was really weird. Hmm. Um, and then like maybe 15 minutes later, um, it broke on Twitter and I started getting messages from um, people in Fort Wayne and Eugene where I had played um, wishing me good luck, all sorts of Tampa Bay Rays fans welcoming me to the organization. <laughs> and 
Uh, we can't wait to see you at spring training and all this kind of stuff. So I found out pretty quickly who the trade all involved, all seven guys. Um, and my, my boss at the time was a huge baseball fan. So I actually walked into his office. I said, Brian, I just, I need a minute. I just got traded. Um, <laughs> and he kind of looked at me with that same, like, wait, what sort of a look that I had. <laughs> so we actually just we sat in his office for probably 35 or 40 minutes and just talked about what was going on. And I tried to find out from anybody that I could, like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Um, and I ended up talking to one of my roommates from Fort Wayne, Max Freed, big leaguer with the Braves. Um, and he had a, a big time agency. Um, he was a first round pick and he said, yeah, he had heard that this was like a really good thing. Tampa Bay had asked to have me put into the deal. So it sounded like a really exciting opportunity. But it was just it was a bizarre day. Like it was it was really crazy knowing that, you know, all those guys, um, teammates, friends, coaches that I had worked with over the two years were just suddenly like not where I was going to be the next year. So it was exciting. It was a little bit crazy, a little bit sort of scary going into that new situation. But it was a, a great opportunity. Sure. Before my co-host Nate asks the next question, I'm going to go over the details of the trade quick. So you were traded along with Logan Forsythe, who spent some time with the Rays, the Dodgers, and the Twins. Uh, Brad Boxberger, who's still, I think, with the Rays. Matt Andres. And then Matt Lolas and you for Alex Torres and Jesse Hahn. And for people who don't know who Alex Torres is, he was one of the first players in Major League Baseball to wear the custom Major League Baseball hats with the uh, protective uh, protective padding in them, which would really help on comebackers and other you know collisions with the ball like that. All right, awesome, Max. So when people think of like professional baseball and professional sports, they think of money, glamour, fame, all that stuff. Minor League Baseball is a little different. Can you, can you give us and our listeners a little insight on – minor league baseball where are you living transportation different stuff like that maybe even some horror stories yeah you know what it's uh it's not exactly what you what you see on tv what you think about when you think professional sports like you said um you know everybody has every player that i've ever spoken to has that that story of getting their first check and looking at it and going wait what you just look at the number at the bottom and you're like that's what i'm that's what i'm getting paid to do this um, so it, it's tough financially, um, obviously having, um, been drafted in a relatively high round, I had a bit of a cushion. <clears throat> I had signed for a decent amount, but year to year, you're, you're really not making much, if anything, um, a lot of your money every year is going to rent. Um, and it really is up to the team that you're playing for every year to, to either help you or not with, uh, with living situations. So I remember with the Padres, um, both years, they the team took pretty good care of us. Um, in Eugene, we were living at a hotel right downtown, and that um, the money was just taken out of our paycheck for it. Um, and then in Fort Wayne, they had set up with an apartment complex that there were a block of apartments that were going to be month-to-month leases so that if guys got moved up or moved down, people could just be added um, as player movements happen. So we were actually, that's, that's actually a funny story. We, we had four guys in a two bedroom apartment, um, which wasn't terrible. That was what most of the guys did um, just to keep costs down. And then a friend of ours got called up from rookie ball about mid July. And he said, Hey, can I just crash on your guy's couch for a couple of nights? Oh yeah, no problem. And we came back from a road trip and he just, he was friends with all four of us that lived there. And he just said like, 
do you guys care if I camp out in your living room? And we're like, no, that's fine. Like, whatever. You can stay here. Um, figuring that camp out meant just like sleep on the couch. <laughs> and the next thing we knew, we had a tent and a sleeping bag in our living room every night when we got home from, from the stadium. <laughs> so he would actually like sleep in a tent. Um, literally camp out in the living room. And then in the morning, everything was packed up back in a box and the couch was back in, in its place. So it ended up working out really well because it, it cut our rent down again. Now we we're paying five people for the same amount, which was great. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it, like, you, you do what you can to try and you know keep costs down. Um, the big one that I think almost every player has done at some point um, is take advantage of the Walmart 90 day return policy. So you go in, you buy yourself a big TV and return it every three months just so that you don't have to, you know, get a new one or like, so you do get a new one and you don't have to, to keep it and whatever. So I know that there were guys that there were guys that went out and like between three guys would buy like the biggest projector, highest power projector and biggest screen they could find. And then just like rotate whose card it was on for the course of the season. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a, a bit of a funny scenario. Um, and really it does, it totally depends on what the team does to help you. Like some of the teams I played for, um, it was just go ahead and find somewhere to live. Um, and you usually only find out which team you're going to about three or four days before camp breaks. So you find out, okay, I'm going to be in, uh, I guess, Port Charlotte, Florida, where I was for two years with the, uh, with the Rays. Okay. Now I got to find somewhere to live. So you've got to figure out who else is on that team, who you like, who you think you can live with sort of on the same schedule. Um, and then find somewhere that works for everybody. Like you want to have enough space, but you don't want to be obviously taking on a huge rent bill every month. So it's a bit of a scramble for those three or four days, but I was, uh, I was lucky. I always had a, a pretty decent place and good roommates. Did you, did the teams ever reach out to you and say, Hey, you know, you could always live with a host family. Did you ever live with a host family or have that option? I only ever lived with a host family in college summer ball. Um, so my two years that I played summer ball, I had host families, um, in Fort Wayne, they had a program where each player had what they called a host family. Um, and that was a group that would sort of take care of like little things that you wouldn't think of. So like they furnished all the houses with, um, like all the silverware and all the plates and cups and stuff like that, blankets and pillows. Um, they would take us out for dinner every once in a while. And then like whenever they had like a host family dinner, all the families would sort of potluck and we'd stay at the stadium after the game um, and just have that, have that dinner with everybody. So we had technically a host family there, but we weren't like actually living in with them. Yeah. So besides playing in minor league baseball during the summer, you actually had the opportunity to go to the Australian baseball league and play for the Brisbane bandits. Tell me about some of the experiences that you took away from Brisbane and how that made you a better player. Yeah, that was a a really cool opportunity. Um, I was super, super (laughs) unsure about it when they first approached me. Um, There were four of us from that 2014 Charlotte Stonecrabs team that got selected to go. And we had heard from the guys that went a year earlier that it was a terrible experience. Um, They had gotten to Australia. They just kind of got dropped off at this house and had to kind of figure it out on their own. Um, They had to bike a mile and a half to the field every day. It really, they weren't really um, taken care of very well. And so the four of us were going like, oh man, this is kind of a drag. Like 
yeah, it's cool. We're going to go to Australia, but it sounds like it kind of sucks. Um, so we ended up having a couple of meetings leading up to um, the end of the season and when we were actually heading over um, where we talked to some of the player development people who had talked with the Brisbane management about sort of making it a little bit better for the guys. Uh, and when we got down there, we found out that the team had come under new ownership. Uh, Mark Reedy, who is a really good friend of mine now, um, is somebody I really look up to. He was the new owner. Um, and he, I like to always talk about him as sort of a mix of Mark Cuban and George Steinbrenner <laughs> in that he's got that kind of crazy side, but he will do absolutely anything in his power to make sure that his guys are taken care of and in a position to win. So right away, we, um, we got moved into some apartments that were right downtown. We had a car, um, internet in our, in our apartments. We all had phones. Um, everything was like world-class taken care of by Mark and his staff, which was fantastic. It made the transition to living, you know, 15 time zones away so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was just an unbelievable opportunity to see a part of the world that, you know, is so different from what we're, we're used to being in North America. Um, so life-wise it was, it was awesome. And then baseball-wise for me, I was coming off of my first year as a catcher. Um, and I had only caught sort of once every week. So for me, the opportunity was to go in and catch every game um, every weekend. The ABL schedule is like almost kind of like college. You play Thursday to Sunday, um, four games. So I was catching three out of every four and DHing in the fourth game usually. So it was it was an awesome opportunity as a player to just learn some of the nuances of catching, um, get my body used to handling a heavier workload. Um, and then that league is sort of scattered with guys that were older, had some more experience, um, even some guys with big league time. So to be able to work with those pitchers um, and learn from them, understand what works and what doesn't work um, at higher levels was a really cool opportunity because, like I said, I was brand new to catching. Mm-hmm. So having that, that wide range of perspectives was really, uh, really a benefit to me. Great. Awesome. So what would you take away from – all of your experiences in minor league baseball, your journey, what is the biggest takeaway and what's the most rewarding part of the whole minor league experience? Um, I think the, the biggest thing is that I got to, I got to live out that dream that I've always had. Um, I always wanted to be the kid that was able to, you know, play under the bright lights, be on TV, sign autographs for kids. Um, and I got to experience all of that. Um, I've, I've said to a lot of people um, recently when they've asked me, because I've, I've sort of decided that I've wrapped up baseball. Um, people have asked me, like, how, how do you feel walking away from it? And I've said to them, you know, I think if I could go back and tell the seven-year-old version of me before I played my first ever competitive game with the North York Blues, if I could go back and talk to that kid and say, you're going to get drafted twice, you're going to play for Team Canada in high school, um, division one scholarship, two championships in college, college world series, all these things that I was able to accomplish throughout my career, whether it was, you know, back home as a kid all the way through, um, the end of like my last season in independent ball. I think that that seven year old kid would have like a huge smile on his face and just be so excited to go out and take ground balls and take batting practice, just like I was when I was that young. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's a whole lot of memories. It's a whole lot of like really, really cool experiences that I would never trade for the world. Um, 
and it's just it's it's given me the opportunity to travel. Um, like I said, I've, I've played all across the U.S. Um, I've gotten to go to the Dominican Republic twice. Um, Australia obviously was pretty pretty cool experience. So I've mm-hmm. I've gotten to experience a lot through it, and I'm I'm incredibly thankful for everything that was um, part of my time playing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you remember this, but when I was just starting out my blog, I asked you one of the first questions I asked you four years ago was, "What does your future hold?" And I remember you saying, "Well, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. I don't know what I'm doing later this week." But in all seriousness, has your future changed since you decided to pursue other opportunities and since you're not playing baseball anymore? Do you have any more plans? Um, yeah, yes and no. It's uh, because I'm still fresh out of playing um, and just sort of starting this whole job search process and trying to figure out what um, sort of phase two in my life looks like. There's still a lot that's up in the air. There's a lot of moving pieces. Um, but, you know, my girlfriend and I have a great place. We're back on Long Island, um, right by Stony Brook, which is great. Um, so I'm around, uh, I'm able to be around the baseball program a little bit. Um, I'm able to sort of start building my network down here and start to kind of plant the roots. So, yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit different in that I know that um, I'm not necessarily worried about am I going to be moved up, moved down, traded, released, um, signed, all that kind of stuff. But there's still a lot of a lot of uncertainty in terms of, you know, what I'm going to be doing, where I'm going to be doing it. Um, The thing that's sort of come into a little bit clearer of a picture is, you know, this is where um, this is where we want to live. Um, we've got some friends in the area. We're starting to kind of figure out what, um, like our, our real life schedule and life looks like. So yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. still very much up in the air. I really don't know, but I know I'm not going to be traded anytime soon. So that's like, it's a little bit, <laughs> yeah. of, uh, little bit of stability. Yeah. Uh, last question for you. What has your time in baseball taught you not only as a player, but to how to be a better person? I think that it's, it's very easy to get caught up in, um, you know, I'm a professional player, I'm a professional athlete. Um, but realizing that, you know, through the whole thing, I was still the same kid that fell in love with the game as a three or four year old watching, um, back to back, which was a documentary about the blue Jays that won the world series, um, in 92 and 93. Um, and so being able to just kind of understand that, you know, all of these guys in the big leagues are, are humans. Um, they're just unbelievable baseball players. Um, and realizing that you, even in that position, are still human. Um, you still have to be um, down to earth. You've still got to be friendly, personable, um, able to talk to people. So I think that um, through all of the fan interaction and going out on some of the community appearances, um, you learn that you can have an impact on people. And being able to see that um, develop through, you know, um, kids coming back after a program that I went out on or um, something like, you know, how how you and I have developed this friendship over the last bunch of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you realize that, you know, it's so much bigger than just um, balls and strikes and outs and wins and losses. Um, sure. Because for everybody, baseball ends. And there's going to be a long period of time after that when you're just going to have to be um, a regular person. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's, it's just be a good person, take, take whatever situation you're in and try and try and make everybody around you situation better. Yeah. Okay. Two more, 
fun questions for you go. Would you officially like to use this platform to predict that the Toronto Maple Leafs will win the 2019 Stanley Cup <laughs> and to officially uh, announce that my eye black skills are better than yours? Oh, I, w- I was never a, a big eye black decorating guy. You definitely have me in that one. Yeah, for sure. I was always I was always a very classic, just single stripe. Um, I remember my freshman year in college, our, our catcher was a fifth year senior, and he was just doing eye black on everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I went over. I was like, "All right, get mine." We were playing Alabama at the time, and he started to he started to do it, and I was like, "Oh, that's really thick." And then all of a sudden, he just like smeared it with his fingers, and I went like, "Oh, oh yeah. my god, this this isn't my look." Yeah, it's the style. Uh, so <laughs> I was I was really uncomfortable actually. So I was like, "Okay, you know what? I got to do it myself. I'm just a yeah. single straight line guy." So you definitely have me in that category mm-hmm. for sure. Um, as for the Leafs, uh, growing up as a tortured Leafs fan, I know nothing's guaranteed. Um, but man, you know, when they've got that whole lineup going they're they're pretty hard to beat. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting to be able to watch Matthews and Marner, Tavares, all those guys, like they're unbelievably fast and unbelievably skilled. So mm-hmm. if everybody gets back healthy and they're, they're, uh, doing what they should be. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Why not? Let's win a Stanley cup. I'll go home for the parade. Okay, great. Max, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. And I just got a text from my mom that you are officially invited to Thanksgiving. So if you'd like to come down, <laughs> you can come. I'll text my address. You know, maybe we could split a plane ticket or something. But in all seriousness, I appreciate you coming on. And this was a really big, uh, big interview for our podcast. So thank you. Yeah, thank no you, problem. Max. I appreciate it. I had a good time. I appreciate you guys having me on. That was, that was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Coming back from the break, we'll talk more about our gold gloves and maybe some awards that we're going to predict right after this on Runners in Scoring Position.